Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about what you can do to remember more of your dreams. You'll also learn about the difference between internet language and regular language in the first edition of our Hashtag Tuesdays miniseries with internet linguist Gretchen McCulloch. OMG, let's satisfy some curiosity. There are things you can do if you want to remember more of your dreams. And obviously, dreams are still mysterious to scientists and dreamers alike. But there is research suggesting there could be some fundamental differences between people who remember their dreams and those who don't. One is gender. Researchers don't know why, but women tend to remember their dreams more often than men. This could be due to gendered differences when it comes to interest in dreams, or it could be due to hormonal or biological differences. And it's not just who you are, but how you sleep that can impact how you remember your dreams. When you fall asleep slowly, you enter hypnagogia, which is a period of dreamlike visual, auditory, and physical hallucinations that occur just at the onset of sleep. You dream more regularly when you enter REM sleep, which is that dream-ready phase that comes with physiological changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and breathing. Near the end of REM, your body either prepares to wake up or to cycle through the sleep stages again. Those who wake up toward the end of a REM phase are more likely to remember their dreams. Based on this and other research, scientists think some simple tricks might help you become a high recaller. First, drink three full glasses of water before you go to sleep. You'll wake up more frequently, and as we know, that could help you remember your dreams. I said water, though, not beer or wine. Alcohol suppresses REM, so that's not going to help. Second, put dreaming on your to-do list. Repeat the phrase, I'm going to remember my dreams, three times before you zonk out. Your brain likes to work on important things before sleep, and this habit reinforces dreaming as a priority. Make sure you have a pen and paper next to your bed in case you need to remember what you just dreamed. And third, wake up slowly. The worst thing you can do is wake up, turn to your partner, and say, I just had the coolest dream. Do that, and you might forget it forever. Instead, stay half asleep and replay your dreams as best you can. Replaying will help you store the memory differently so you remember it for a long time. Oh, and one more thing. Remember that the longer you sleep, the more REM time you have, and the more opportunities you'll have to dream and remember. So just get some more sleep. It's pretty clear that the digital world is transforming the way we use language. And we're going to look into exactly how it's doing so in our Hashtag Tuesdays miniseries. Our guest for this series is internet linguist Gretchen McCulloch, author of the new book, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language. In this series, we'll tackle whether internet speak is really corrupting our youth and some of the surprising differences in online dialects between people from different places and generations. We'll kick off today's conversation by doing some level setting with this question. How is internet language different than the language we maybe read in a book or speak to each other in real life? What I think is really interesting about internet language is that it's informal writing. And it's a huge domain for informal writing and writing as a way to have conversations with each other in real time, which is something that we haven't really had access to. We've had other genres of informal writing, like letters and postcards and stuff. But the idea that something can be both conversational and back and forth and informal and, you know, between friends and written down, it doesn't have to be edited and these kinds of things. It's a really interesting confluence of two things that have already been around. I know that one concern that I've seen in headlines is that internet speak is ruining the youths. How much truth is there to that? I think that language is always a really easy way to project your anxieties or your fears or your concerns 
about a particular group of people onto the language they're using. So if you're worried about the youth, it's easy to project those worries onto language. But language has always changed. Language has always been different from one generation to another. And it's still around. It's still surviving. It's still thriving. There was no golden era of language that was intrinsically superior. That's just a romanticization of a particular era for historical reasons. Well, is there any truth to the worry that, you know, in the future, our academic papers and our our books are going to be full of LOL and emojis and things like that? Or is it something else? I like to look, think about academic papers and the exclamation mark. So the exclamation mark is uncontroversially part of the English punctuation repertoire. And yet you don't find exclamation marks in academic papers. You barely even find them in like newspapers because exclamation marks are emotive. And the convention for those genres is that they're unemotive and they're disembodied and they're not inserting the author into the work. And so if we can't even get an exclamation mark, which is no one thinks an exclamation mark is non-standard or is, you know, just a kids these days sort of thing. We can't even get an exclamation mark. I don't think we're going to end up with an emoji in there unless it's being quoted for some sort of, you know, academic analysis of it. I don't think you end up with an emoji because an emoji is also a way of the author taking a stance. And that's just not the convention for academic papers for authors to insert themselves into that sort of narrative. Do you think that's almost a weakness of of some professional writing? Because, for example, there's no sarcasm typeface and there are certain ways to misinterpret language. Perhaps more widespread use of exclamation marks would help facilitate that. So is that a problem? I think that it's okay that there are different ways of language, that there are different styles of language for different circumstances. There are different styles associated with different people, there doesn't have to be one right answer. If you find that not using exclamation marks is hindering you, then use them. There doesn't have to be a right answer. And actually, Cody touched on something that I think is really cool in this book, is that actually the internet has come up with a way of conveying sarcasm. Isn't that right? And many ways of conveying sarcasm. And I think that, you know, there are philosophical proposals to try to come up with a sarcasm or ironic punctuation mark dating back to the 1500s. And it seems in many ways that they were dreaming too small. They were trying to come up with a single unambiguous punctuation mark to indicate irony. When what's actually fascinating about irony is that it has a double meaning and it requires an extra layer of interpretation. And so if you want to convey something completely lucidly and make it completely understandable, we already have a tool for that. And it's called not being sarcastic. And so at the point at which you're trying to convey irony, You need that extra interpretation step. You need to hint that there is a double meaning. And it's not really irony if there isn't some possibility of misinterpretation. Yeah, you just don't be ironic and then you're good. (laughs) Um, But clearly we do want to be ironic because when someone successfully receives a double meaning, it's really exciting because we feel like we access some sort of deeper layer of understanding. We've shared something that was really important in the moment. It's like getting a joke, you know. We have lots of ways of not, you know, misunderstanding jokes. You could just never make a joke. But what's the fun of that? Who knew that we weren't the first generation to try to come up with a sarcasm typeface? Again, that was Gretchen McCulloch, author of the new book, Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language. You can find links to the book and more from Gretchen in today's show notes. And next week, she'll be back to talk about boomer speak and how people from different generations speak differently online. And now let's recap what we learned today. Today, we learned that you can remember more of your dreams if you wake up slowly. And, of course, if you get more sleep in the first place. 
and that formal writing is safe from the scourge of emoji. And that we've been trying to come up with a reliable way to write sarcastically for centuries, but there's still no perfect solution in sight. It was also cool to learn that this is the first time in history researchers and linguists have really had access to huge amounts of informal conversational writing they can analyze. In the past, it was always like postcards or journals and museums, but archivists have only kept some of that stuff, and it mostly comes from certain classes of people, like, say, educated or wealthy people from throughout history. Not everyone in history is notable. And man, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are not notable, at least not for the right reasons. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. Stay curious.